Hello, everybody. You are listening to Action Line on KINY. I am your host, Jordan Lewis, and joining me in the studio, I have Representative Sarah Hannon. How are you doing today? Good morning, Jordan. I'm doing great. It's turning out to be another beautiful July day, our new normal. Which I am always a fan of. Yeah. We, uh, you know, after that cold and drizzly June, we have really been rewarded with sunshine and warmth. Hall of July. So, you know what? We had one day of real rain this last week, but other than that, we've been sunshine and warm weather. That is true, which I was not opposed to that day of rain. Day of no, rain no. Nice. We needed it. Everybody needed to get their inside chores done. Exactly. Now, I understand that you want to do a quick plug for public health real quick. Yes. Uh, just in case anyone is looking for those COVID tests, Juno Public Health at Twin Lakes still has public uh, available free tests um, you actually don't even have to go all the way into the clinic they have a nice table set up out in their outer office in the waiting room that you can just walk in and pick them up and um, having recently had a round of covid went through all the tests in our household to make sure that all the contract tracing and people were being tested so that i wasn't sharing my infection and um then realized, boy, we, we went through quite a few tests and I needed to find some. And Juno Public Health still has COVID tests free and available for community pickup. So I urge you to make sure you have one around the house just in case. So if you're taking your temperature, take a COVID test. It is always better to be safe than sorry. Yeah, the, the problem with COVID is it shares too easily. So making sure that at your first sign and symptoms, you test and uh, try not to redistribute the virus. That's not something we want to redistribute. There's other things, but that's different. Yeah. Now, the first uh, real big topic I wanted to hit with you was really uh, the governor's vetoes to the budget because they were, they were quite significant. Yeah, they were. And, and um, a lot of disappointment um, across the state. Uh, in particular, you know, and one of the biggest vetoes being that education funding that um, certainly from the votes that we had in the legislature in support of it, um, because that dollar amount had passed with 58 out of 60 legislators voting for it out of both bodies and lots of uh, executive branch dialogue as conversations around education funding were held. We certainly had an expectation, belief that that was that overwhelming demonstrated response, um, viewed it as a compromise dollar level and um, yeah, it'd been at the forefront of both topic wise and dollar levels all through the session. So I think it really caught um, most advocates of education and school districts uh, off balance and, you know, as a balance issue, so close to the beginning of their fiscal year that everybody is having to reshuffle because uh, it was vetoed in half. And so districts have got to readjust their budgets and, um, you know, make cuts that they had not anticipated to make. And, and basically everybody had already made cuts. So um, very frustrating. Gotcha. And, and this was some, and this reminds me of something I had mentioned uh, during my interview with Senator Keel before, which is that, you know, we, all, we hear a lot of that talk of, you know, being very pro-education and trying to do that sort of development. And then you see a cut like this happens and it kind of puts that narrative into question. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I would say yes. Um, you know, there's 
any any large system education whether we're talking public safety corrections courts education there's always room for a systemic improvement change and you're always looking for improvements but fundamentally in education we have not had a increase to school districts over the last nine years so almost a decade and if you simply were trying to keep up with inflation, do nothing else, not improve reading scores by targeting reading and bringing in reading specialists and buying new curriculum. If you were just simply trying to keep up with inflation, you haven't. So, um, you know, there, you've got to put money to keep the institution functional, you know. Uh, I think a few years ago, people, uh, Anchorage is an example, you caught a lot of money, you caught a lot of money, then you have a big winter of snow and you don't have overtime for snow plow drivers. You don't have extra equipment ready to dispatch. So when you continue to cut or don't keep up with maintenance of equipment or maintenance of facilities or continue to hire people, you can't deliver the product. And in the case of education, it's not something you can defer maintenance on. A fourth grader is a fourth grader when they're a fourth grader. And if they did not get reading interventions in grades one, two, three, and four, they're still behind and catching up with it. Um, is something that doesn't really happen well. Uh, one of the examples of you know, increasing costs for districts that I've used that uh, came from the Juneau School District is the cost of um, insurance, P&I insurance. Uh, I guess it's property and indemnity insurance that four years ago the district paid 200,000 for, and then it doubled. So then it became a $400,000 item. And then for this fiscal year, it's tripled. So it went been 400,000 is now 1.2 million. So a cost that three years ago was 200,000 is now 1.2 million. The districts had no major collapse of facilities or major suits over liability or injuries, but the cost of that fixed expense, because a school district has to have that insurance, has gone from being 200,000 to 1.2 million, and the district does not have a um, million dollars extra to pay for it. And so that comes out of other functional things, like you're not buying new reading curriculum. Even if the state says, let's focus on reading, you've gotta have the insurance. So um, we need to get more money into education and we need to do it fast. I hope that we will be able to override the governor's vetoes. Um, does not appear that we're going to be able to do that in the interim, but once we convene in January, in the first five days, we can take up veto override votes. The, the, the statute reads that um, the first five days of the next convening, so if, we'd ha if we called ourselves into a special session, then we'd have five days to, to take up vetoes. But if we don't have a special session, and it's looking less and less likely, um, that we would do it in January. And, you know, the dilemma is for a district, now you're halfway through their operating year. So you're not able to hire an additional staff to be with kids the whole year. But um, it certainly still is money that districts will need. Right. And then from my understanding, you know, for a veto within the Alaska legislature, you need yeah. about 46 out of the 60 legislators. 
Right, right. We have the highest threshold of veto overrides in the state. So it's it's a long shot, but, um, you know, the adage in politics, uh, public pressure changes minds. So, um, you know, the Juno delegation, both uh, Representative Story, Senator Keel, and myself, we all support veto overrides. So our constituents don't need to hound us about that, uh, voting to override on the education vetoes. But across the state, there are many folks who, many elected members who are not necessarily there yet. They're not advocating to override that veto and public pressure changes elected people's minds. So um, I urge urge everyone if they are so inclined to advocate for the change they would like to see. And I'm sure, you know, I have constituents who've shared they don't support that, um, but I have far more constituents who've expressed support for overriding the governor's veto on education funding. Gotcha. And with that, we are going to head into our break. When we come back, I understand that you have some new legislation that you're working on, and then we'll be talking about that in the next portion of the show. You are listening to Action Line on KINY. And welcome back to Action Line. I am your host, Jordan Lewis, and joining me in the studio, I have Representative Sarah Hannon. Now, Toward the end of that first half, I teased that you were working on some new legislation that we were going to talk about. So what exactly is this piece of legislation? So House Bill 201-201, um, Rebecca Hemshute, uh, Representative Hemshute of Sitka is the prime sponsor. I'm a co-sponsor on it. Um, and it's about fish and game licensure. And one of the things, it's, it's come to us as constituent advocacy, and I think most folks in our region um, are used to going to the airport and seeing people checking on with boxes and boxes and boxes of Alaskan seafood that they caught while they were on their trip. And of course, um, if you're a non-resident and you bought a non-residence license and you went on a fishing charter, that's, that's why you did that. That's what you came up to do. But uh, the problem is that there are many people who claim Alaska residency for purpose of a fishing license, and they may not really, in the spirit of that, be Alaska residents. They perhaps only come in the summer, and perhaps they live in a camper for the summer, but they got a post office box in the community and um, say it's theirs, and then they have sort of an unlimited harvest. And um, a lot of folks in our smaller communities, Prince of Wales communities, which are uh, representative Hemshoots district, were the ones their uh, fishing game advisory groups have been advocating for this for a number of years. They've gone through the fishing game um, advisory board process and previously bought it, brought this issue to the boards of fish and the board of game about making trying to tighten up our fishing game licensure for residents um, definitions time frames a definition of domicile um, and the boards were basically told that the statute needs to be changed that it's not a regulatory thing that we'd need a statutory change to do that and um, fish and wildlife troopers had indicated that it was uh, currently very really impossible for them 
to um, challenge someone's residency claim if they've if they've encountered someone who has a uh, fishing license or a, a hunting license and they've sworn individually that they are an Alaska resident. Um, that wildlife troopers don't have a way to investigate nor prosecute that further. So the intent of the bill is to tighten up and make sure that that residency qualification for an Alaska resident fishing game license meets what we think it means, uh, meets those qualifications of someone who has a sense of being here permanently, um, votes here, is a year-round resident, even if they travel in the winter. So that's what the bill does. And of course, it's in its first version. It got um, introduced just a few days before the session ended. So there were no hearings. Um, it got, you know, so um, I know that Representative Hemshoot, as she's traveling her district this summer, is making sure to meet with the variety of fishing game advisory groups across the region that were the impetus for it. And we'll continue to um, talk about it. Um, we've also heard there's interest. Uh, the Department of Fish and Game is also interested. There's something you're far too young to know, Jordan. But one of the gifts we give Alaskans on their 60th birthday and afterwards is a free lifetime uh, fishing, hunting, and trapping license. And that is one of the areas where there's sort of a, you know, you got it at 60, but now maybe you're 70 and are you really still a permanent resident? Right. So we'd like to see that there be requirement for periodic renewal of that. Still being free, but you know, whether it's annual or every two or three years that you've got to re-up that because that seems to be one of the doorways where the perception is there's some abuse of it. That people on their 60th may have still been full uh, residents, permanent residents of Alaska, but um, once you get that lifetime license, if you never go back to prove up that you still are, there's the the window for it to be abused. There's the concern that that could happen. Yeah. And of course, I mean, it's not just a concern. There's a perception in many communities that those are people there, that they could name people who were abusing that, that they really were no longer permanent residents of Alaska and shouldn't be eligible for a free license. Um, so. Okay. Uh, yeah. I would say I do know about that because my dad has <laughs> okay, one. Okay, good. And I can confirm he's definitely still an Alaska resident. Because <laughs> he's been down here a few times, but he lives up in Anchorage. All right, I forgot you were from up north. So, yes, yes. And it yes. is, I, you know, I'm very happy. It was the first thing I did on my 60th birthday. You know, the first thing you woke up that morning is got that license. Um, and, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it would be that much of a headache or a hurdle to re-up that periodically. Right, because if you're someone who's actively, you know, going out and using that, I imagine if you wanted to keep using it, you would be in a position where you're like, yeah, I'm going to go re-up it because I want to keep using yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And so, and I can see where that, that perception would come into play. It's like, yeah, this person doesn't actively live here anymore. And they're now utilizing a state resource by all accounts, and then they're just taking it away with them. Right. And of course, the only, they'd still be able to hunt and fish and trap in Alaska, just purchasing a non-residence license. That's the difference. And and we do have some bag limit changes if you're a resident versus a non-resident. And personal use fisheries, say um, king crab, for instance, is a personal use fishery and non-residents um, 
generally aren't able to do that in, in our region. So, you know, there are fisheries where we already know that the resource is very limited, the resources is stressed, um, and it's, you know, the impotence behind Alaskans hunting, fishing, and harvesting is to feed themselves and to feed themselves year-round. And we want to make sure that we have done what is good for for our year-round residents, for our permanent residents, as well as for the resource, because um, that's important for Alaska. Gotcha. And I can completely agree with you on that front. I don't think anyone will get mad at me for that. And, and I agree with you that that, that, that is quite important because it is subsistence you know, fishing and hunting and all those things are extremely important to Alaska, and that's been known for a long time. Yeah. And so if we can close a, a loophole in that system, I would say we'd be all the better for it. Yes. But um, fully prepared um, that anytime we are talking about fishing and fish and game resources in Alaska, there's controversy and there are uh, a variety of viewpoints. So there is no expectation that even though in our region and from many groups who have now worked on this for several years, these fishing game advisory groups across the state, um, having to make sure they understand there's no cakewalk where everyone in the state is going to agree with you right off the bat. There is going to be pushback and resistance, but um, it's something that we got to talk about. And the way to do that is get a bill introduced. And so um, House Bill 201 will be on the docket and uh, looking for Alaskans to weigh in on it. And I will have to keep my own eyes on that for the future. And even hearing you describe it, that sounds like some, and I would say government always moves at the speed of government. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a bit. Things take time. Yes, absolutely. And that's one of the things um, in talking to the advocates for this bill, getting them to understand, um, introducing it now with one year left in the session. And it's a, it's a substantive policy change. It's unlikely to pass in one year, but you start having that dialogue formally on the record at the legislative level so that people can um, make sure they understand it, you know, and that you, uh, especially for the folks who've been working on this for a number of years, um, getting them to understand that the legislative process moves slowly and you've got to get enough votes, you know, not all 60 of us, but enough of us to vote for it up to speed on the concerns and that the obligation of a legislator is to see both the pros and the cons of an issue and make sure that we are crafting in a way that it solves the problem and doesn't create other problems and um, that, but that Alaskans support it. Gotcha. And now looking at my clock here, it looks like we've got about, uh, about a minute left here. Do you have any big closing things you want to throw in? Well, July is fabulous, and uh, everyone should be at the height of their summer activities. Fishing Derby is on the horizon, and, um, you know, we seem to be having the best weather in the state right now, so get out in it, enjoy it. The berries are coming on. They're a little late, but we finally got the weather to make berries ripen, and I hope everybody's out enjoying it. That is true. I think I actually have salmon berries that grow outside my apartment, so I can just walk outside and be like, I'll take that. Thanks. Yeah. Just pick enough for the bowl of cereal in the morning. That's all exactly. you have to do. Well, maybe I would just, maybe I'll go for a jelly. I think that would be fun. There you go. Salmon berry jelly is very delicious. There we go. Well, Representative Han, I'd like to thank you for coming on. It's always fun chatting with you and getting updates from your end of what's going on in the legislature. 
Jordan, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next month. That you will. You've been listening to Action Line on KINY.